Hi guys, um, my name is Riker, and today I get to read the scriptures. So I'll be reading John 17, uh, 1-5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes, to, his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Put it back on the clip there. All right. Thank you, Riker. Um... Well, good morning. My name is CJ Cooper. I am the student ministries director here at Life Community Church. Uh, and with Brandon out of town, uh, I have the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. And uh, I can't help but when I do, uh, want to get students on stage with me. So thank you, Riker, for reading our, our scripture this morning. Um, this morning, and like I said, I, I work in youth ministry, but I can't help but do my youth ministry things. And so before we jump into it, um, you may know we've been doing our Say Yes campaign here at the church. And what that is, and that's that wall out there in the lobby with those cards on it, hanging with different roles. And what this is, is a chance for us to invite the church in, uh, the members of our congregation and, and believers here at our church to say yes to discipling the next generation. Whether that's discipling children in our Sunday morning children's church ministry that we have, uh, youth in our middle school and high school ministries, whatever that looks like. And so inviting our church, you, our congregation, into the discipling of students and the sharing the gospel with them and preparing them for lifelong faith and a relationship with Jesus. And so uh, I can't help but plug it because I know how much fun youth ministry can be. And so if you are interested in serving in any capacity, youth ministry, children's ministry, we would love for you to take one of those cards. I would love to speak with you after the service. Um, right now in particular, we're praying over uh, a new female leader or female leaders joining our youth ministry. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, I would highly encourage you to do so. Obviously, I love youth ministry and have good things to say about it. Um, so I would encourage you to be praying over that and take one of those cards. So this morning, we are continuing our No, Grow, Go series, which is looking at our vision statement as a church, right? That vision statement of we, ex we exist for people to experience new life in Christ through knowing God, growing in their relationships with God and others, and finally going out and making disciples. And this morning, we're going to spend one more morning on no, that first no part. And I'll admit or, or acknowledge it, none of us have deja vu, right? We did read the exact same passage this morning as last week. I, I did that on purpose. This was not me forgetting to tell Podge, hey, Podge, change the verses over to the new one. We're spending some time just again looking at these same verses because we really want to dwell as a church on what it means for us to know Christ and what it means for us to know Christ here within Jesus's prayer for us. See, Jesus offers up this prayer for us in John 17, the high priestly prayer. And this is Jesus praying for his disciples, as well as praying for all of those who are going to follow after.
after, later, those who will be a part of his church. And he's praying the things that he would will for them, the things that he desires for them to be able to experience as they follow after him. And the center point of this first part of the prayer, and and I really believe that, that Jesus actually wants this to be a foundation for the rest of what he's going to pray, is that we would know God. That we would know, in Jesus' words, the true God. And that that knowledge of God, that knowing God, is eternal life. And Brandon started with this last week by laying out the gospel according to scripture. What it means for us to know God and experience salvation through that. Because we were made for a perfect relationship. Each one of us individually as human beings were made for a perfect relationship with our creator. We were made for a perfect relationship with God. And because sin entered into the world and disrupted that relationship and disrupted that connection, we were disconnected from God. And we experienced brokenness in that relationship, leading to God sending his only son to die for us, to live a life for us, and restore that connection, restore that broken relationship. And if you've never heard that gospel before, if this is all brand new to you, maybe this is the first time attending church in years or ever, and you just don't know if you've truly believed that gospel before, I'm so glad you're here. I really believe that God's word this morning will be very encouraging to you. But I also encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Brandon share last week because everything that we do as Christians, everything that we talk about out of God's word, everywhere that we want to grow in our relationship with God, everything we do builds on this foundation of knowing God, of having true knowledge of God. And so this question of what it means to truly know God becomes a really important one for us. If this is the foundational thing that defines us as Christians, knowing God is our foundation for everything else, then we should really look carefully at what it means to know God, to truly know God, and to not trick ourselves into thinking that we do. Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. He says, I never knew you. And this is one of those passages that's like a little scary to read as Christians and a little uncomfortable because he rebukes people that supposedly knew him that supposedly had this relationship with Jesus. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And he's saying that that will be his response to some people at the end of time when they say, Lord, Lord, I knew you. I have this relationship with you. I'm one of your followers. And he'll say to some of those people, depart because I didn't know you. You didn't truly know me. And I think in our own comfort as Christians, like we imagine that passage being like, well, maybe those people were like the, like Christian, you know, the CEO Christians, like Christmas, Easter only. Like maybe they, they weren't really Christians. They were just kind of tangential to the church. They knew some people that were believers and they thought, oh, those are some good ideas. Maybe those are the people. But if we look more carefully at that passage in Matthew 7, Jesus is rebuking people who are out there doing miracles in his name and doing good works And all of these things that we would associate with this deep relationship with God. So we have to really carefully look at what it means to know God. What it means to truly know God is vital to our relationship with him as Christians. And this idea of knowing someone in scripture, it's actually really different than we might think about knowing someone today. 
right? I think about someone that I know, and maybe I think of friends, acquaintances, maybe people that I went to high school with that I've slowly fallen away from, and I keep up with them on social media, my neighbors, people that I'm acquainted with, and I know them, and I know about them a little bit. I've spent some time with them. But Scripture has a really high bar of what it means to know someone. Scripture uses this word to know someone really deeply in Scripture involves a level of intimacy that we often might be uncomfortable with or uncomfortable talking about. Because this idea of of intimacy, right? When we talk about intimacy in our culture, we reserve that for very few really special relationships, right? The only person you might think of having intimacy with is maybe your spouse or a very close loved one, like someone that you know so well and you have this really deep connected relationship with. And it can be uncomfortable to use any of the same words to talk about those relationships as we do to talk about our relationship with God. But the reason that we have this sacred, these sacred relationships in our lives, these relationships that we would call intimate and special and, and put apart, they're different than everything else. The reason that we have these sacred relationships in our lives is because those relationships are reflections of our relationship with Christ. See, Jesus often uses the image of a bride and a bridegroom to describe the relationship between God and his people or Christ and the church. And that's not an accident. He uses it because these sacred relationships that we get to experience on earth are reflections and should point us towards the fact that we were made for a relationship that is even more special than that, that is even deeper than any relationship we could experience here on earth. You know, imagine that, that God desires a relationship with you that is more passionate and more intimate and deeper and more connected than like any rom-com you've ever watched, right? And if you're a man and you're married, you've probably watched some romantic comedy movies with your wife or you've seen some of this stuff. We love to put this idea of emotional, like love on a pedestal in our culture. God says, the relationship that you were made for with me is deeper than anything else you can imagine. It's the most intimate, the most special, the deepest, most connected relationship that you can imagine, more so than anything we'll experience here is a relationship that we were made for with God. And while that can be awkward to use those words to talk about it, in some ways, that part of our relationship with God is the easiest to understand because our culture loves to emphasize the emotional portion of a relationship, right? Like the world loves to talk about the passion and the emotional connection and the feelings that you have when you're around someone that you love, right? You come back from a great first date and you're sharing with your friends and, and it's all about like, oh, how this person made me feel and the experience of being together with that person. We love to emphasize that part of love, of relationships. And so God says, yes, that, all that is good. I want to have that deep relationship with you. I want to have that deep connection, this even emotional connection with you, an experience of your relationship with God through that. And in these worldly relationships, we're quick to recognize that that only happens when you spend time with someone, right? You only have these deep personal relationships when you've actually invested the time with that person. You know, I have friends from high school that I was so close with, that I spent so much of my time with, but looking back, now I occasionally get updates about their life through Facebook or social media. 
because I just haven't had the time with those people to nourish and invest in those relationships. See, our relationships grow according to the time that we spend in them and the effort that we put forth to be with that person and grow closer. God wants to know you. It's this deep, personal knowing to know and be known that only comes from spending time with one another. Right? I think about the four love languages. You guys have heard of this, the four or maybe five love languages, depending on what book you read and the person you listen to. But there are these love languages that supposedly we as people experience love in different ways and there are certain ways that we feel more loved or less, right? Like quality time, giving gifts, personal touch, uh, words of affirmation. And, and I love that idea. I love C.S. Lewis who wrote a book about that. But I have a little problem with it and it's that one of those love languages feels far more important to me than anything else. And that's quality time. Because you can be great at gift giving But if you don't have quality time, there's no relationship to benefit from that gift giving. And you can be great at words of affirmation and all these other ways of showing love. But if you don't spend quality time with people to build up relationships, to build that deep knowing of one another, then it doesn't matter how great you are at all these other ways of showing love. We need that quality time. We put time and effort and and energy into our marriages and our friendships and our relationships with our loved ones and family, but we might overlook doing the same thing with God. And throughout Scripture, God makes it very clear that He desires to spend time with us. He desires to put in that time and energy to grow closer in the way that we know one another. God wants to know you. And I don't just mean in the He knows about you way, right? Because scripture says that he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows all about you. That's not the problem. God wants to know you on a personal level and spend time with you. And we see this very clearly through the way he interacts with humanity in scripture, right? The very beginning of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, Adam and God, it says that they walk together in the garden and so often we read that and then we just breeze right past it. Because we're like, the next chapter, there's like a talking snake and all this stuff's going to happen with Abraham and the family. And like, there's, it's like, I want to get to the good part. And we move over this relationship that God and Adam have in the garden that's perfect. No problems, no barriers, no obstacles in between them, no hurt, no pain. Just perfect relationship between Adam and God creator and created, spending time together in the garden. Man, I, that blows me away that that's what God would want with, with us. That's his model for us. That's how he created it, intended to spend that time with us, to have that such a close relationship with us. And we see it later, even after sin enters and disrupts that relationship, we see God continuing to reach out and want that time with us. Exodus says that Moses spoke to God as like a man speaking to his friend, like face to face. And the Israelites at that time, like they were like blown away by this relationship that Moses and God had because the Israelites rightly were like, we are so sinful. We're like, we're way below you, God. Like we cannot know you. Like there needs to be like a a third person. There needs to be a middleman between us and God. 
And God said, fine, I'll have this relationship with Moses to show you what I want. This close personal relationship that Moses would go up and spend time with God and he'd come down the mountain glowing from being with God and the people were like terrified because they're like, we need separation. We're sinful. God will destroy us because we deserve it. God wants that personal connection and relationship. And where does he show it more than sending his son to live on earth with us? John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Like, it's describing Jesus coming down, and we get to see the glory of God in person. He became a human being with a body who could shake hands and hug and spend time with us. That does not sound like a God who wants distance from us. That's a God who would do anything, even submit himself to the pain and suffering of living and then dying on the cross so that he could be with us and show his desire to be with us and spend time with us. And if we look towards the end of history in Revelation, God's perfect end to history is the city, New Jerusalem, all things in creation made right, and God living in the city with his people just there, walking with them, just as he did with Adam in the garden. That's God's perfect ending, that he gets to have that personal relationship, that being with you. God wants to know you. And like any relationship, we can nurture that knowing God by spending time with him. And when we nurture that relationship, it's going to grow. You know, I, a while back, I started a project on my car. I had bought a new car and it had an old radio in it that was kind of a piece of junk and I had a new radio and I thought, I'm going to replace this old radio and put my new radio in. So I get all my pieces. I get my wire harness, all the connecting pieces that I need. I take out the old radio of my car, disassemble everything, go to plug the new one in and realize that the person who had owned my car before me had swapped out some parts and I had no, like there was no way that I was going to make this work. It couldn't connect. I needed different stuff. And so I did like a classic guy thing and I thought, oh, this is fine. I'll just leave this project like disassembled as it is and I'll come back to it really soon and I'll get it done with the right parts and the right pieces and, and tools. And that didn't happen. Uh, it's been three or four years and I still don't have a radio in my car. But I started spending this time, I was commuting 20 to 30 minutes every day, both ways to work and I was spending this time driving and I remember thinking, man, it's just so quiet in my car. I can't listen to music. I can't do anything. I should just like spend some of that time praying. And so I started spending some of that time as I was driving in the car with God praying. And very quickly, this became like one of the most important experiences that I ever had in my relationship with God. Growing in my feeling of personal connection and deep relationship with God and in my prayer life because I had all of this time each day as I drove to work to spend time praying, to spending time with God, 20 minutes at a time, both ways, just sitting there talking to God, sharing about what was going on in my life, sharing about my heart, praying. And one of the things you'll find very quickly if you decide to commit to spending 30 minutes at a time praying is you will run out of prepared comments. Like how often do we go into prayer thinking like, here's my list. I need to pray for these four people. I should probably give thanks for a couple things. So that's the right thing to do. Uh, maybe ask God to forgive me for something I did wrong. And then I'm kind of out of stuff. So I'm gonna wrap it up. Amen, I'm done. 
five minutes. Nice and easy and quick. And as I spent this time in the car with God, I was praying and I'd said I'd committed to praying the whole time as I drove in silence and I just ran out of things to say. I ran out of things that I had prepared and checklists to knock off as I prayed and I just started sharing whatever was on my heart and just talking to God like I would talk to a friend that I wanted to catch up with. And it was the most incredible experience of prayer that I've ever had. Because God said, and I can't take credit for it. I didn't do it on purpose. God said, nope, no radio for you. You're going to spend time praying with me. And what I found was that when I spent that time with the Lord one-on-one, my relationship with him grew. And my intimacy and deep connection with God grew as I spent that time in prayer. And I would ask you, where has God already been carving out that time for you? Because I didn't plan that. I didn't plan my radio to be broken. I probably could have fixed it sometime between now and then. But God had that time set aside for me to spend with him. And I know that as God desires to have a relationship with me, he desires to have a relationship with you as well. And he has that time set aside for you somewhere. And you need to look for it and say, God, I recognize you're setting this aside. I'm going to give up control of this time completely and just spend it with you. Or maybe you've overbooked yourself so much there is no time. And God's saying, where are you going to cut? Because like any relationship, if we value that relationship with God, we have to commit that time to him. I know that if I feel disconnected from my spouse, I need to sit down, carve out time with my wife to go out on a date or to spend time together and just be together. Because that's what it takes to nourish those relationships, to grow deeper in our connection with each other. The antidote to going through the motions in a relationship is time spent together. And that is just as true with our relationship with God as it is any other. God has a time that he's set aside for you to spend with him. Be willing to give that up and say, God, I recognize I need this time with you. I need this time with you to grow in my relationship. And so I'm going to let you have it. And not only does God want to know you in that deep, personal, connected way, God wants you to know him. Because there's something about relationships as humans that to have true intimacy, to have true deep connection, we also have to have knowledge, right? We have to have knowledge about each other to have true connection. We have to get to know the other person. If we spend time connecting and spending time together and growing closer personally and then don't grow in our knowledge of that person, something is seriously wrong. As we spend time together, we get to know the people in our lives better, the people we have these relationships with. One of my favorite things as a husband is getting to surprise my wife with things that I know about her. Whether that's a gift that I get her that she had mentioned, you know, months ago and I wrote it down on a little sticky note and she was like super, she's super surprised. How did you even know I needed this? I barely knew that I needed this. Or maybe it's me chiming in and saying, hey, I recognize what you're going through and I know that this is something that you care about and sharing with her and showing that I've been listening to what is on her heart. 
growing in my knowledge of what brings her joy and what she's thinking about and praying through and going through in her life, right? Texting her on a day where I know that she'll have a hard day, even though she hasn't told me yet. Like those are the things that happen when we get to know each other better. When we know each other, when we have knowledge about the people that we're in relationships with, it equips us to better love those people and connect with those people in our lives. And the problem is that we might sometimes overlook this because there's a lot of bad examples of knowledge relationships, especially today in the social media age, right? You talk about celebrities, professional athletes, influencers. Like, it's so easy for us to know so much about someone without having this personal connection with them. Whether that's, you know, your favorite athlete memorizing, okay, this is where they were born. They grew up here. They started playing around this time. They got drafted. Here's their stats. I know all about them, but there's no personal connection. Or the same with celebrities. Oh, I love this person. This is why, you know, I love this person and and what they stand for and their art or whatever they do. But we can have all of this knowledge without this personal connection. But God says, no, the knowledge isn't bad. Getting to know each other, having knowledge about one another is not the thing that's wrong. What's wrong is having that without that personal connection. And so God in scripture directs us to, hey, here's the right way to use knowledge. I want you to have knowledge about me. I want you to know me. I want you to know me through my revealed word to you. And here's the right way to use it. God says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be content, equipped for every good work. God says the knowledge isn't bad. In fact, there's a correct way to use this knowledge and that's that it benefits you in every part of your life. As you grow and be discipled, as you correct each other and grow in your righteousness and your walk with the Lord and following him, and as you're equipped for all the good things that I have for you. God says knowledge isn't the problem. True intimacy needs knowledge. It needs deep knowledge of the other person. And that knowledge allows us to actually know the true person and not the image that we've been presented with or not the person that we think we know. You know, uh, art is one of those things that unless you know a lot about it, unless you go all in and take classes and go to school, like it can just go right over your head. And that's me. Like I can like look at a painting or a photo and know if I like it or not, but that's about it. But I have a cousin who went to art school and came home and was having a discussion with me one time about a class that he'd taken on the philosophy of art. And he was sharing, and honestly, most of it right over my head. Like, modern art, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's so valuable, why people pay millions for it, but they do. But I remember having this conversation with him about his experience going to school, and he shared about this thing that he had learned where art needs both the artist and the audience. That art doesn't take place, and this is what his professors taught, I don't know if I'm fully on board, but this idea that art doesn't take place unless there's a person creating the art and then connecting with the person experiencing what they've created. Whether that's the painting, the statue, the writing, the song, whatever it is, there's this interactive nature of art. And I love that because it describes why we love to see original art, right? 
There's this famous painting in Paris, the Mona Lisa. People travel from all over the world to go see it. They'll go to this museum. I literally could not tell you a single other painting that's at the Louvre in Paris besides the Mona Lisa because that's how famous it is. People go there just to see that. And it's a painting that's like that big. It's tiny. It's not very large. And honestly, she's making a weird face. Like it's not even, I, I would not pick that as my favorite art. But people travel from all over the world to go see this famous piece of art because they are connecting with the person who created the art. When you go see that original painting, know that their brush touched that canvas. There's this connection between the artist and the viewer. And that's a connection that's not there in a print, right? A famous painting can go for millions and millions of dollars and you can print a copy of it for like 30 bucks and buy it on Amazon and hang it on your wall, same size, looks the exact same, you know, worth 0.001% of the original because we recognize that there's a value there in that original thing that connects us to the author of the art that isn't there in a copy. And in our walks with Christ, we are far too often happy with connecting with someone else's understanding of Jesus. Someone else's copy of Jesus that they're transmitting to us secondhand. Whether that's your pastor that you listen to every week, a parent or a friend or someone who brought you to the Lord in the past, a Bible, stud- or a Bible study teacher, a Sunday school teacher from when you were a kid, we become okay with having someone else know Christ for us. Like my pastor can have the knowledge of the Bible. I can just come sit under them and hear about it every week. Oh, someone's trying to call me. Don't be content with having a print Don't be content with having a copy of the original. We have the original words of God right here available to us. God's word directly to us through his word, scripture, the Bible. It's his art directly to us. We have that connection available to us. And if you don't have a Bible, please, please, please come talk to me, one of the elders, any of the staff members of the church, we will get you a Bible but we have the opportunity to have a direct connection with God. And yet we settle for a middleman. We settle for a print copy. We settle for someone else's understanding of Jesus being transmitted to us. Don't be content. Don't be content with someone else knowing God's word for you. Because if we want to have true, deep relationship with Jesus, if we want to have true connection with God, to truly know him, we have to know his word for ourselves. Knowledge is part of that. When we have deep knowledge, it equips us to better connect in our relationships. And that's true in our relationship with Christ. And that knowledge of Jesus, that does not replace the personal connection. But instead, it empowers that personal connection to thrive and be healthy and deep. True knowledge of Christ protects us from knowing a false Christ, which is incredibly important in a world that seeks to destroy and corrupt truth. You know, if knowing Christ is the foundation of all truth, it directs us towards salvation, and it sets us on the path of having this deepest, most intimate, most connected relationship that we will have in our relationship with God, right? Protecting that 
relationship has to be so important to us. Deep knowing on a personal level and deep knowledge are necessary for that true intimacy with Christ. Because Satan desires to steal, kill, and destroy, Scripture tells us. He wants no one to have that deep knowing of God. And the easiest way for him to do that is to corrupt and twist what's in God's word. And say, oh, well, let me just slightly change this. Let me just give you a slightly different print copy. I promise it's almost exactly the same. You can still see the brush strokes. Everything looks roughly the same. Because he doesn't want us to have that true knowledge of God. He wants to twist it and say, well, you know, does, do you really need that piece of scripture? Would God really say that? Can we just abandon that and, and move on from that? No. We need the truth, the original communication from God, God's word directly to us, not Satan's twisted version that's going to have us believing in a false gospel. Knowing Christ personally and the knowledge of his word protects us from falsehood, false teaching, and false gospels. And as we spend that time with, with Christ, getting to know his word, not only do we recognize when we hear someone misusing it, because we know it on our own, we say, wait a minute, I've, I've read that passage and they're, they're saying something that I don't think is in there. They're teaching something that actually doesn't agree with what I've read in God's word. Not only does that happen, but as we spend time in God's word and spend time with God personally, we grow in our discernment and our wisdom. That God gives us the Holy Spirit, which directs us towards what's already in his word. That we would have the discernment to say, I, I don't, that doesn't sound quite right. That doesn't sound like the gospel that I know. That doesn't sound like the relationship with God that I've experienced and grown in. Jesus prays for us to know the true God. That knowledge of God, knowing God, the true God, is what not only saves us, but transforms our lives. And I promised Brandon I wouldn't get into grow because I know grow is next week's, but it's so hard to talk about knowing God without your life being transformed. As we spend time with God, as we know God, our lives change. As we spend time in his word, spend time with him personally, we can't help but grow and be transformed and go out and want to share that with others. But I think that's why Jesus starts with this knowing. He says, what I desire for those who would follow me is that they would know the true God. And one of the things that we haven't talked about this morning that's in the passage is this idea of glory, right? Jesus says the word glory or some form of it five times in five verses, and I haven't talked about it at all yet. That's okay. I was, I was on purpose. But this idea of glory, and Brandon brought this up last week. It really stuck in my heart as I was preparing for this morning. This idea of glory is not just giving honor to God, glorifying God, giving honor to him, but it's that through our actions and through the way we live that others would be pointed towards him. This idea of confessing, right? Proclaiming your faith. Confession is not just to admit to wrongdoing and, and seek reconciliation, but it's also to confess faith, to proclaim what you believe. And that's what Jesus spent his entire life in ministry doing. Confessing the Father every day, every time he interacted with the disciples, every time he taught, through the way that he lived, 
moment to moment every day, he was confessing his faith, showing others the glory of God and pointing them towards him. And we have the opportunity to do the same thing. Maybe what you need this morning is confession. I would love for you to find that time with God where you can be in deep prayer and spending time with him and time where you can get into God's word and grow in your knowledge of how he's revealed himself. But before that, maybe we just need a time of confession. And we can say, God, there's a barrier between me and you and it's the sin and I need to confess it and give it up and have that reconnection. Or maybe it's, hey, I need to confess faith for the first time. God, I I haven't believed and I want to confess that and proclaim that faith. This is what I believe. One of the ways that we get to experience this confession that Jesus was so good at is through communion. He gives us this instruction to go and meet and take communion in remembrance of what he was going to do. And every week we do communion because that's how important that remembering is for us here at our church. And not only that, but Brandon never preaches without the cup sitting on the stage with him to remember. This is the cup of communion that we take in remembrance that Jesus would come and die on the cross, live his life for us, and then die his death for us so that we could be reconnected to God so that we could experience forgiveness and the restoration of the one most important, most beautiful relationship we were made for. Jesus says, come experience this. And when we gather together, remember it. Jesus says, when we gather together in remembrance, do this. This is one of the most important things. Confess. Take that time to come and and repent of anything that would be between you and God and then come and take the communion and confess who Jesus was, who he is and what he did, proclaiming it until he comes again. And so this morning, as we have this time of communion, I would invite you to take this time together as a congregation to just sit with God. And maybe there needs to be confession confession of, of sin and repentance. And maybe there needs to be confession of, hey, I'm reaffirming this is what I believe. Confessing and proclaiming, Jesus, this is what you did for me. And I'm so thankful. I want that relationship that you provided for. So for just a, a few moments here, would you take some time with me to just spend time with God in prayer as we dwell on what Christ did for us on the cross?